Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. This is the Monday edition on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online there at uh, kpcg.fm, trumpet.com as well. Coming up today, look at a couple of headlines that are uh, interesting, some news stories that are out there, also uh, some stories from the trumpet.com as well, and also continuing to look at a great reprint article, The Authority of the Bible, and some of the uh, essential things you need to understand to really understand Uh, what is in the Bible and what it means for you. We'll take a look at all of that and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. Uh, it's Monday, and here we are, 101.3 KPCG. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon here today on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. <laughs> uh, Grant, you sent me a uh, text this morning, and you, you <laughs> asked a, a couple of questions, but one being, or one was that please don't be a spoiler and tell me the the score of the Bills game because you hadn't watched it yet and uh, you didn't want to know and I honored that but then uh, somebody you found out inadvertently so you know you know what happened in that game yeah it was really frustrating because I was checking my emails and I saw an email from my dad at 11 o'clock in the morning yesterday so before the Bills game even happened and he was telling a Patriots fan that he knows not to spoil it for us before we watch the game on tape tonight yep but at the bottom of that email there was like a snapshot of the Bills website and apparently the email just updates the website so it's like a living email and it had all the results of the bills game at the bottom of it i won't say just in case my dad or brother are listening but it, it was just very frustrating to me that is a frustration you know I, one of my uh one of the things that happened to me years ago this was right after the packers won the super bowl with brett Favre, so the late 90s and I was working at a different radio station, and uh, it was a rematch game the next year. And the Packers were playing the Patriots, and uh, I got called uh, on air from a fan in uh, the stadium. Mm. I was a Patriots fan, and I guess I don't know how they knew to call our number, but they <laughs> called, and uh, so I had a nice chat with them. Uh, I couldn't understand a lot of what he said; very thick accent, mm. very thick. But I had a good conversation with him, so. Oh, that was a, a highlight for me uh, in relation to the Patriots. That's as close as I've got to the uh, Patriots. Yeah, I, I, there was a really big cheap shot that I saw uh, mm-hmm. from that game. One of the Patriots players hitting one of the Bills players. One, he was just lying on the ground. The play was already over, and he just basically dives in there, slams the back of his elbow into the other guy's neck. I don't understand why players do that, um, because if you're upset, just hit the guy on the next play legally yeah. after the whistle exactly. blows. Because it's not like there's no contact in those games. But there was another uh, game yesterday, I've never seen this before either, where uh, I think it was a Kansas City Chief player got upset that he got a penalty called on his teammate, and he picked up the flag and threw it into the stands. <laughs> and then he just left the field. I don't know if he was a jet or he just wanted to quit. But um, they kept showing the fan, and you can see all the clips today if you want to, but he's up there with the flag. He's celebrating, and everybody's taking <laughs> selfies with him and the flag. And I thought, that's really a cool souvenir i don't Mm -hmm. i probably want to get a football that would be my ultimate souvenir but an official's flag now that's pretty rare that'd be pretty neat too yeah that's an impressive uh, accomplishment there for that for that fan to be in the right spot at the right time and 
to, to be able to get a souvenir like that. It is funny just how some of these guys react when something doesn't go their way. They just absolutely lose their minds. And, and in the case of that cheap shot against the Bills player, it was called the worst foul of the entire season. One of the worst fouls that any of them had ever seen. Some of the commentators I was listening to. And yet all the Bills guys stood around like pointing at it and they're like mad, but they were surrounding this guy. And I was surprised no one tackled him to the ground and did something about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's well. kind of weak, these these big buff defensive players, and they just all stand around and watch while they while this guy gives their teammate a concussion. Yeah, it was a bad hit if uh people did see it. You know, it's interesting too with uh football, there's uh uh Pontiac Silverdome, you probably remember that. That's in uh, Detroit. There are a lot of uh, famous events, including football, basketball, other things happen there. And, of course, they built a new stadium. So like they do with these old uh, stadiums and domes, they uh, implode them. And uh, somebody said it was somebody wrote that it was like a, a king leaving their castle abandoned. You know, <laughs> these abandoned stadiums sit there. So they're going to blow up the Silver Dome or implode it, rather. And uh, it didn't go down. <laughs> <laughs> they said that some of the charges, I guess, didn't go off. And uh, so it's still standing. <laughs> Part of it is they tried to take it down, but that old that old uh, building wouldn't go. So they were going to think about maybe another way to bring it down. But um, Hulk Hogan tweeted because he wrestled there in, <laughs> against Andre the Giant. That's a pretty famous <laughs> thing. And he said he could call him and he'd take it down. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the old Silver Dome. It's still standing there. At least part of it is. It's always interesting to me when I guess people move on from a certain stadium and they build a new one. Then that other one is just left to get destroyed, and and apparently there's no other uses for it, or maybe there's just not enough revenue to come in for leaving it standing. So they just destroy the thing and hopefully build in its place. It's kind of it's kind of an interesting uh, part of life where you just knock down buildings that you don't use anymore and replace them. Yeah, I guess it's just the upkeep so expensive. Yeah, it would be really expensive. And, yeah, and if you don't have a good use for the building, then um, I suppose. Uh, they would take it down. I was glad. I mean, uh, up in uh, Green Bay, they just a couple of years ago they really renovated the Lambeau Field instead of making a new one. I, I kind of like it with the when there's history in the building. Like that's kind of a neat, a neat thing. But those new stadiums are really phenomenal, and I think probably the one Jerry Jones built kind of set the bar. And then I don't know if others have surpassed it yet. But you expect you expect things to be pretty, uh, pretty modern and pretty fancy in those stadiums, and yet. Uh, Lots of reports show that NFL fans aren't going to those stadiums anymore. Right. So they got these big half-empty stadiums sitting there. That's that's a difficult situation for the owners to deal with. It is nice though if if a sports stadium or arena does have some history to it. I was at Wrigley Field in Chicago a couple years ago, and if you're in the lower level, there are literally some beams from the that are holding up the upper level just coming down, and they're like in people's direct line of sight when they're trying to watch the game. But that's just how the older stadiums were built, and and it's kind of a nice thing as long as you, you you can sort of see around it a lot of great history in that one yeah. i've been to that one when i was a kid actually and uh uh got rained on very heavily it's one of my <laughs> memories but that's a, it's a neat neat old stadium there uh there's over the weekend of course a lot of times they they keep an eye on on how the nfl is doing it's such a money maker still makes a lot of money but struggling a fair bit and there's a write-up from the baltimore sun about how uh the ravens and the nfl are scrambling as fans stay home they're just not showing up, and uh, uh, you know, you know, there's, I guess some fan anger about the uh, some players kneeling during the national anthem. Uh, injuries to star players is kind of turning people away. Injuries in general, uh, and I, I don't know. It's just it seems like it's lost some of its magic for people. That they're just not as interested as they used to be in some of these sporting events. 
and I could definitely understand that just what, like last weekend we went to a Kansas City Chiefs game there and it, it's pretty ridiculous what you have to deal with just to get into the parking lot we got there a couple hours early and it took us 45 minutes to park and the parking passes cost $60 per car so you have to pay that as well you would think that if you bought tickets to the game you should be able to get into the parking lot to watch the game but that's another thing where these teams are basically gouging their fans making them pay all this extra money when they've already bought the tickets we were up in the very top corner as high up as you could get and we were paying $57 a ticket for those seats as well I mean it's it's not cheap to go to a game and so you you would think maybe they should take away some of those extra costs that would also drive people away I wonder if part of it too is uh just the rise of uh, the internet and smartphones to where, I don't know, people just are not, they're distracted. Like even, for example, I was watching a particular game over the weekend with some friends, and one thing you note is that even during the game, people pull their phones out and they're Mm -hmm. looking at something else. And so it's kind of happening, but they're looking at their phones. And uh, I'm old enough to remember the pre-internet days. (laughs) And uh, whether it was a sporting event or something like that, I mean... It was it was a big deal. Like that was it. You saw it, and it was over. And so you wanted to see it. You wanted to watch it. And now there's so much oversaturation, maybe, and other distractions that it's hard for anything. I think these days to capture people's imagination, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, everyone's just so so um, uh, distracted, I guess. And a game does last for three hours, so you would have to be paying attention to that for three hours. It is. I would say it's a fact, though, that the actual event is more entertaining than pulling out your phone during the event if people actually gave it a chance and went to it it is a pretty great experience to have once in a while um despite the the cost it was worth doing it we hadn't been to a game in 11 years so it was definitely worth the opportunity uh didn't really feel like pulling my phone out during that especially because i have a dumb phone <laughs> <laughs> that's right you had nothing to do except uh i guess you can do texts on that i sent like yeah. two texts but it was always during a timeout, <laughs> not during the game. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I think every generation looks back at the one before, uh, or sorry, looks at the current one, and then they look back and and they say, you know, back in my day, you know, it probably used to be something like, well, a kid used to be able to sit and read a book. You know, now it's like <laughs> you used to be able to sit and watch a sporting event and focus on it, but now you can't. So the, maybe the bar's lowering there as far as our attention span. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're having pretty low expectations for what people should be able to focus on. <laughs> you know, a book takes many hours to read usually. Now we're down to a three-hour, uh, much, much less important event which is a sporting event and I, I just can't even imagine what it would be like for the next generation like you couldn't pay attention for five minutes and whatever this this thing was that was going on yeah i think there might be a pretty interesting point there that uh, you know if you're reading a book um it takes a while to kind of get into it and then it gets really interesting but you have to, you have to dedicate you know the first i don't know five to ten minutes and really fight off other distractions and then get into it and then it's really interesting and it's kind of the same even with like a sport. Like you have to learn about the players and you have to kind of know what's going on and, and focus on it. And with with the internet and the smartphones, everything is so immediate. Like I'm interested or I'm on to the next thing. And we are, I think we are losing that ability to get interested in something. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Recently someone was saying that uh, they were reading a book that was about a river. The, the river was in the title of the book. And yet he spent the first third of the book just 
basically screaming, let's just get to the river. Why are we not even at the river that the book is talking about yet? Patience. So, patience. yeah, there definitely is a buildup in, in most books. You can't just get to the climax of the story on the first page. There is a buildup, but then it's, it's much more worth uh, reading the book because of all the background information that you have. And maybe we are losing some of that enjoyment, some of that, some of that buildup. It, it's all about, you know, uh, a tweet here and there or a short video clip. That's kind of what is capturing our attention spans now. Yeah. And I think probably everybody has faced the same frustration that I occasionally do where you read a page about five times. You're like, yeah. I have no idea what I'm, you know, I just, I'm thinking about other things. I'm distracted. Right. And so, yeah. uh, they, you do see this offered all the time. I saw this over the weekend, the digital detox where people are trying to rent like a cabin out in the woods and just <laughs> get away from uh, the constant barrage of your smartphone and, and just kind of get back to living life a little bit. It, those do look really fascinating. Uh, there were so, some that apparently they're pretty much all made out of glass. Like it's a wooden frame so that it stays together, but but then it's just all the walls, uh, the floor, the ceiling. It's all made out of glass so that you still have sunshine coming in the whole time. And what you do is you turn your phones over to to whoever owns those places. And then for three days, you're staying in this cabin, getting the sunshine, getting the fresh air, even when you're inside, basically, because it's made out of glass. That's interesting. Who would have thought, you know, that people would, I guess, pay money to get away from, you know, distractions? This is interesting. But mm. um, this this is a headline today here from Fox News. Uh, Germany offers money for migrants uh, who go back home. <laughs> go back home, we'll pay you. Germany wants to support rejected asylum seekers who voluntarily move back to their home countries with a one-time payment of 3,000 euros. That's 3,570 U.S. dollars. Um, as one commenter said, hey, I'll never go to Germany, I promise. Give me the cash. <laughs> I <laughs> that's, agree. <laughs> that's just an outrageous idea. If they got rejected, they should be going home anyway. And you shouldn't you shouldn't have to pay them to do that. There should be ways to make sure that they go home after they got rejected. I don't know if they're just releasing them into the country and expecting them to go back on their own honor, but why would they have to pay anyone if they've been rejected? I've never heard of anything like that ever. I don't think it's a policy that can last. I think people would be pretty upset because I imagine that's taxpayer money there. Yeah. It says the Interior Ministry says those who qualify can apply by a February 28th deadline and they would get the money once they return home. Uh, where should we send it? Oh. You know, I don't have an address. <laughs> Migrants who agree to go back even before their asylum request is rejected have already been offered 1,200 euros per adult, 600 per euros per child under a different program for almost a year. They are now eligible to apply for both programs. Oh. Couldn't you see people just taking advantage of this? I mean, it's hard to keep track of who's who. They just keep changing their name and saying, uh, you know, I'm going to apply for asylum. Oh, I probably won't get it. I'm out of here, but where's my cash? It right. seems like it would be abused. Yeah, and even if you don't change your identity, you could have no intention of ever coming to Germany to live legitimately, and then you knew the whole time you were going home, and then, well, you're still getting paid by the German government. It's pretty easy to be generous with other people's money, isn't it? That's what they're doing. These politicians aren't paying out of pocket for every one of these people. They're spending the German people's money. No, they're not going to like that. They say the Bild am Sonntag uh, newspaper reported Sunday 8,639 migrants participated in the returnee program between February and October, even though there are about 115,000 rejected asylum seekers in Germany still, many of whom can't be deported for humanitarian reasons. 
So if you reject them but you can't deport them, what what are they? Like what's the point in rejecting them if they stay there? That's an odd thing. Like are they yeah. going to be able to send them back at some point? I'm not sure. So that just seems like a situation that's going to make uh, the German people even more upset with the immigration issue. Yeah, it, that that really doesn't make any sense. Every nation should have every right to decide who stays within their borders and who doesn't, regardless of what's happening in other nations. I mean, the idea of helping people who are coming from places that have been destroyed by wars is a nice idea in theory, but how exactly are you going to administer that? A lot of these leaders are running into that problem. Maybe they see what's going on in Syria and they want to help those people. But what about all the other people who are just coming from North Africa or some other places that maybe aren't having as many difficulties right now and they they don't necessarily have a good reason to be coming? Well, now they're just saying, we'll pay you to leave. And where are they going to go to? That's the thing. I mean, if if they are legitimately seeking asylum because they have nowhere to go. Um, where do they go back to? You know, even that money wouldn't do them any good if they're going back to a burned out, you know, hometown where there's still threats. I, it's just, it's just a sticky situation there. Uh, related to that, this is from last year. It's from the express.co.uk. Migrant crisis has left half of Germans feeling like strangers in their own country. They say Islamophobia. That's what they call it. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Has risen markedly in German uh, Germany, according to a new study underscoring the tensions simmering in German society. Every uh, well, half of the respondents to the 2,420 uh, people that were asked said they sometimes felt like a foreigner in their own country due to the many Muslims there, up from 43 percent in 2014. The number of people who believe Muslims uh, should be forbidden from coming to Germany has also risen. The study showed, and now stands at about 40 percent of the people. So. Uh, those numbers are probably rising, I'm guessing, but they do highlight the fact that there are simmering, uh, there's anger and it's simmering there in Germany. And these invented terms like Islamophobia are irksome to say the least, because what they do is they end all discussion about the issue. If if people have a legitimate claim that they don't feel like they're in Germany anymore because there are people coming there who are hostile to their culture and their way of life and who refuse to assimilate well, now they're just going to be called racist and religiously intolerant of Islam. That's not, a, that's not a fair way to discuss the issue at all. There are some legitimate concerns here, and we've seen that in a lot of towns where literally more than half of the people now living there are refugees. That would fundamentally change the person's environment, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, can't a person say, honestly, that they would prefer to not have lots of people come into their area that are not natural citizens but say look I, I don't have a problem with them i just don't want them living right here you know can't you do that i think that's a logical thing that people could do right and they boil it all down to the religion they call it islamophobia well a lot of it is just a, a, a multitude of strangers flooding your town it doesn't really matter too much what the religion is unless they're going to be actively hostile and trying to make sure that sharia law is enforced in the land where they come where they then move if, if as long as they're not doing that i don't think a lot of people care too much about who, what the religion is or what the skin color is it's just a matter of people who have a totally different way of life that they are trying to force on the germans that's what people are worried about well and you can flip it around too and say well if a german citizen refuses to pick up and move to the middle of an, an islamic country are they Islamophobic? I mean, 
<laughs> well, no, I'd rather stay where I am. Well, then you're, you know, Islamophobic. Right. right. And what if what if a ton of Germans, what if millions and millions of Germans moved into a Muslim-majority nation and refused to obey Sharia law or whatever the laws were in place, they refused to assimilate into the communities, they decided to keep their own languages and customs, that would not really go over well. Yet, when it's the other way around, the Western nations are always expected to just take that and not say anything about it. Yep. Very, very much a double standard there. Angela Merkel, she's not doing great with her new coalition uh, that she's working on. There's some problems there, too. So lots going on there in Germany. Uh, and we have some great uh, write-ups at thetrumpet.com about that. You can There's a Watch Germany uh, video that they usually put out, too, that looks at what's happening over there. Here's a really strange thing that may affect you. Uh, this is from Forbes. Americans are receiving unordered parcels from Chinese e-criminals, and they can't do anything to stop them. They give the example of one lady who keeps getting a lot of small packages from China. They're hair ties. <laughs> They're not well made, by the way. <laughs> and she never ordered them, and they just keep showing up. And she found out what happened. It's uh, it's a it's a sort of a scam. It's a weird thing. It doesn't really affect her other than the annoyance of it. But um, uh, this is called brushing. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? No. Brushing. Uh, basically, they're sending out these packages to people to boost their online sales figures and make it look like they have a lot of customers when they don't. <laughs> so it doesn't affect the person getting it other than you got this junky hair tie coming all the time. <laughs> but then these Chinese companies can say we have all these customers and make themselves look better online. Uh, so you might you might get something like that in the mail. I don't know. Hey, it's free stuff. I, I couldn't really complain too much about it. If that had been sent to me, no one would know. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't even be complaining about that at all. That would be just... I mean, obviously, I don't have much to do with hair ties, <laughs> but I'm not paying for them, so it's not a big problem. Yeah, send me something that's good. <laughs> but yeah, so they just send this stuff out. Basically, uh, if a person has made a purchase maybe at, at some sort of a Chinese site or you know a site coming from China, at times what they'll do is they'll take your profile and your address and everything, and they'll just they'll make it look like you're buying these things. They don't get charged for it. But they still just keep sending these things out. And in a lot of cases, they do send you the product they're selling, but they send you a much cheaper version of it. <laughs> like if you were to buy it, it would be a little bit better, I guess. And so if your name gets on this list, you can expect to get packages. At least this lady got hair ties. Some people are getting packages from China with nothing in them. <laughs> and they go to their mailbox and they get a bunch of packages that are empty. It's the same scam, the brushing scam. Well, that would be really frustrating for people if, if they get their hopes up that they have a, a nice package in the mail and it's just a, a bunch of air. That would, that would be really upsetting. But if it has something in it, I'm sure you could find uses for hair ties, especially girls as, as long as they last it doesn't sound like they're very good ones but at least at least there's some sort of a use there you know it's interesting too because i wonder if this is sort of related to even when you buy something from some sites like there are chinese or sites up there where stuff will come from china and you can buy like a necktie and you get the tie for like 90 cents and you know it's not like it's a nice tie but it, it you can wear it a few times and I always think, well, how do, how can they afford to do that? Ninety cents plus all the shipping, and I wonder if they're just dumping a bunch of that stuff out there to then boost their their sales numbers or something like that, make themselves look better. You're probably onto something there because I've always wondered the same thing. They, it doesn't seem like they would make any profit at all. In fact, they'd probably be subsidizing the packages that they're sending out when you sell it for that cheap. And it's no wonder that American companies can't 
keep pace with something like that, especially if they're cheating and basically just boosting their online sales. My wife bought me a few of those ties over the years, and I mean they're they're fine and they're not nice, like you know high quality, but they they look okay and you can wear them a few times. And but they always put like a fake tag on them, you know, like the really nice ones. So we always had a little joke going. I'm like, ooh, what what tie shall I wear today? And it was you know Gucci or something. It was ninety cents. <laughs> That's hilarious from China, but I, I I felt good about it. I was willing to go along with it until everybody was a Gucci tie. A tie is always a good gift. It doesn't it doesn't matter how nice it is because it just gives you variety generally depending on your job or your situation a lot of us need a lot of ties so that we're not caught wearing the same thing once every two weeks or something like well, that now everybody knows what to get grant yeah any tie is a good tie get him a tie i've had i've had a, a wide range of ties over the years all the way from the 90 cent variety to like a pretty decent one that costs a little more and uh although the one that costs more was definitely nicer I don't know if it was that much. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. how long are you going to keep the thing? Right. Like for 50 years or something? I don't understand ties that cost just a whole lot of money. They um, Does anyone notice? Maybe maybe I know, so I feel better about myself. I don't know. That's that's probably about the only difference. I think that about clothes in general. I, are we really buying clothes that are supposed to last 50 years? <laughs> so some clothes might be a little bit more well-made, but... If if it's a difference between forty years and fifty years, that's probably not the biggest deal. Yeah, I don't know. Plus, no fashion, you know, changes so rapidly. I don't think anyone's going to keep their stuff that long. <laughs> so everything changes. Here's a write up that's really interesting. Uh, of course, a lot of people are thinking about the potential of nuclear war with North Korea and their shenanigans. If you want to call them that. Uh, this says uh, this is from Yahoo. Uh, nuclear war with North Korea. We're not prepared for the scale of casualties, and they point out in this write up how. Uh, when you look at what happened with uh, Japan in 1945 and the type of weapon that we dropped there where it was 15 to 20 kiloton yield, um, it did so much damage and caused so many problems. But the new weapons are much worse, much more devastating. And there's no way that if one was detonated and hit a populated area that they'd be able to deal with the aftermath or the casualties there. The disturbing part of all this with North Korea is you're not seeing too many articles or, or stories about how North Korea is no threat and, and will totally be able to handle them. Everyone seems to be saying that we're not really prepared for what's coming. We don't know the severity of the situation. It seems like we, <laughs> we're we about to get hit by something that uh, we just we just can't understand right now. Maybe we just don't think that... America could get struck like that, but obviously that's North Korea's main goal. It's too it's too devastating to think about. Yeah, like they say, if uh, compare uh, the weapon used there in Japan in World War Two to a thermonuclear weapon, which is in the range of seventy five to forty nine thousand kilotons of destructive power, used on a densely populated urban center like New York City or Tokyo, just one weapon would kill millions of people and produce millions of casualties. You know, just think about what would you do with all those people? Now, some would not be there anymore, obviously, because of the <laughs> the explosion, but some some would. It says, those numbers are devastating enough, but the real nightmare is that the number of thermal burn casualties greatly multiply with the thermonuclear weapon. And so you have all these massive casualties that are severe. Uh, sorry, uh, not necessarily casualties, but you have, um, uh, you know, these burns. Uh, which they may not die from, but but they could seriously uh, cause problems. They say a person burned like that takes three to four medical personnel just to help. 
so three to four medical personnel per person, no way you're going to get help for that. Yeah, that's just it's just so terrible. I mean, thinking thinking of the piles of dead bodies that you wouldn't be able to deal with. I mean, even back at the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War, there were plenty of bodies that were sticking out of the ground when they were tried to be when people tried to bury them just because there were tens of thousands of bodies to deal with. Uh, this would probably kill millions of people. How do you dispose of that many or, or take care of that many bodies at the same time? How do you treat that many people who are wounded or infected at the same time? It's a really scary thought and no wonder people might not be as ready for something like that as they should be. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can't be ready for it. You know what I mean? Like, what do you what do you do? This author who's uh, doing some reports on it says, in fact, I recently published an assessment of the U.S. and Asian emergency medical respond responders Hyp- hypothetical response to a nuclear event, which found a striking lack of knowledge about patients affected by radiation after nuclear war and a strong reluctance to treat them, even though it is far less dangerous than treating infectious disease patients. And they finish by saying this. While nuclear nonproliferation remains a top priority, the preparation for responding to the actual use of these terrible weapons is now a regrettable necessity that we must confront. And uh, the, the, the author laments that nobody wants to talk about it or deal with it. They want to hide from it. And, but it is a reality that we have to think about. Yeah, and especially today it seems like uh, we're thinking about a million different things. Uh, most of us seem to be too caught up in what's happening uh, domestically with the two political parties arguing back and forth. And maybe there's not enough focus being put on North Korea or Iran or Russia, some of these really huge powers that don't have our best interest in mind and would do us devastating harm if they ever got the chance. That's probably what we all need to be thinking about a lot more than just you know, what the Republicans did or what the Democrats did. There's a really good, it's a new booklet at thetrumpet.com by Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry. Nuclear Armageddon is at the door, and uh, so it's very important to look at that. But as is pointed out in this booklet, booklet, so is the greatest event ever to occur in the universe. Matthew 24 was Christ's most pivotal prophecy when he was on this earth. So why do Christians of this world fail to understand it? And so when this this other author here is talking about uh, trying to prepare for nuclear war, they don't talk about Matthew 24, they don't talk about the Bible. So the reason I think people don't uh, want to face this is because they have no hope and they're afraid. But when you don't bring the Bible into it and prophecy, then yeah, it is it is more terrifying than than it is already. Yeah, most people's focus, if they were even trying to prepare for a strike like that, would be maybe bunkering down, maybe getting some supplies, finding a different place to live. You know, obviously, a lot of these people would want to move away from the West Coast because that seems like the most likely place where North Korea would strike. People aren't looking to a spiritual solution. Those are all physical solutions that I just mentioned. But the only solution is in the Bible, which it doesn't seem like a lot of people are willing to look at right now. No, it's interesting. And they're talking about North Korea and other nations, but there's, what about Europe? <laughs> That's something people aren't looking at. But uh, the Bible does talk a lot about the, what you can expect to see happening in Europe, and that's actually a bigger threat. So uh, make sure you look at that booklet. It's new. It's at thetrumpet.com. Uh, speaking of thetrumpet.com, top story today, uh, why the trumpet expects the rise of a German strongman. This is by Richard Palmer. 
And we're not talking about weightlifting. <laughs> it says, Europe has a history of authoritarian leadership. The crisis plaguing the continent today will result in uh, the strongest strong man of all. And uh, they have a quote there from European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker. Europe would be easier to understand if one captain was steering the ship. So true. Yeah, and, and obviously that's what they're looking for right now. It doesn't seem like... Uh, Angela Merkel has any a, any intention of being that decisive leader that Europe needs right now. I believe it was Carl Theodore Zu Gutenberg, maybe it was someone else who described Europe as like 30 doctors operating on the same patient and how just how efficient inefficient that type of leadership would be. Uh if you do apply that to all of Europe at once, if you have 27 or 28 European Union nations, well, that's that's not really the best way to move the entire continent forward in a decisive way. Yeah, I believe it was him that said that, and uh, that's a good quote. And uh, it, it must be very frustrating. You know, if you uh, listen to the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, you do hear uh, Mr. Stephen Fleury, but then also some of the other hosts uh, talk about what's going on in Europe, particularly if they are over there. And um, it, there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of frustration. I mean, you know how frustrated... It can be here in the frustrating. It can be here in the United States to see the bickering back and forth and politics. But, but over there, you're trying to get ten separate, or it's more than ten. <laughs> it's going to be ten, but it's more than ten right now. <laughs> right. Uh, separate nations to try to work together and try to agree on something. And you have these major pr- uh, problems, and you have money coming in, uh, different tax, you know, uh, amounts coming in from different nations. Who has the say? Who has the policies? Uh, who can control that? Uh, and then all these other crises going on. Um, they do need one strong guy. But unfortunately, that's going to be a bad thing for them. Yeah, it is interesting, actually, to compare how difficult it is to move things forward in the U.S. versus over there in Europe. We have two big political parties and 50 states that ultimately are subservient to the federal government. Whatever the government, the national leadership decides is ultimately where all the states go as well. In Europe, you have hundreds of political parties you have all these separate nations that all want to have a very direct say in what is happening over there you could definitely see why it would be so much more difficult to do anything collectively across europe yep really uh interesting right up there why the trumpet expects the rise of a german strongman and uh, there's a trend section there too that you can look at some of those different trends also on the trumpet interesting story canadians lead the world in household debt that's a little. I, I'm a little surprised by that. I guess I thought it'd be the U.S., but it's Canada. The results of a recent report showed that Canadian household debt equaled 101 percent of the country's GDP. That's not good. <laughs> South Korea and Britain took the runner-up positions with household debt uh, equating to just over 80 percent of GDP. So, lots of debt up there in Canada. Yeah, and that actually wasn't too surprising to me just because i know there are some spots in canada that are extremely expensive to live like in british columbia or in certain spots probably in quebec and ontario especially because they're more i think they're more metropolitan there's a lot of bigger cities in those areas and some of the in in, in most of those cases as well they might be more coastal especially in the case of british columbia so a lot of houses across canada are, are going to be extremely expensive yeah, they are. It's amazing how the prices have gone up. They've just skyrocketed. And uh, it's amazing because it's not like wages have gone the same way. Um, there's probably a little increase, but not not like the housing market, 
where you see houses go up in so much value. And so how do you expect people to uh, stay out of debt, stay above water, <laughs> as it were, if, if they're trying to get a house? The same is true in Australia. You heard, you know, you've heard about some, how some of those houses have gone up in value. And it's crazy because it's not, <laughs> the structure is not worth what they're charging, but because everything goes up, they just keep charging more and more. And I don't, I don't know how people can survive in that. That's just an example of, I guess, the consumerism, the greed that we have in, in these types of systems. The, the best interest of the customer is not usually first in the mind of the people who are selling these homes. They don't care if it's anywhere near affordable or anywhere near an honest price. It's just a matter of making as much profit as you can. And it's not just people selling homes that's just kind of how society in general is if there's any way to rip someone off people have found it and they've done it many times there's a uh story i read recently about honest abe raham lincoln uh, when he was an attorney <laughs> <laughs> and he was uh he did a job for somebody he had to write up some papers some legal papers and the guy was uh, happy with it and he sent him 15 dollars, and uh, he got he got a letter back from Mr. Lincoln, and he said this job is only worth about ten. And he sent him his five extra dollars back. You don't see that, you know. People, for the most part, and there's some out there that would do that, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. If you want to pay me more, I'll take it. And uh, so we could use a few more honest Abe's, as it were. Yeah, what an epic example that is of someone who is just ethical through and through, always thinking about helping other people. You were telling me the other day just about how fair-minded he was and how he wanted the best outcome for everyone even for the people who during the civil war probably hated him and and wished he were dead he still wanted the best for those people as well yeah he was ultimately i think looking for what was true what was right what was fair the best that he could understand it not a perfect person obviously but uh but i think he really did ultimately want that and and we don't see a lot of that today we do see a lot of uh, just uh, trying to gain for the self, whether it be political power or finances or whatever. Even there's an interesting write-up today, I think it's from the Washington Examiner, about the whole the legal situation there with President Trump, and they, they lay out how the Obama administration set the trap early on to try to catch him in this, and, and some law from years ago that nobody uses, and they tried to set it up. And uh, It's really interesting to look at that, but it just shows. If we have two political parties that try to sabotage each other on the way into power... <laughs> How can we expect to do anything in this nation? Are those are those types of schemes and strategies really best for America as a whole? How much would our society be different if everyone were as giving as they should be? Speaking of massive debts, what, would people really have debt if uh, those selling did not allow you know payments over the course of a long period of time? And of course then slapping on a ton of interest to all those payments. People probably wouldn't have debt because they'd care too much about that person's financial situation. And 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 then even if you did let someone pay something off over time, you wouldn't put interest on it. And the people paying it off would absolutely pay it, despite there being no interest hanging over them. It, it would just be a much more honest way of doing things, and that's just looking at it from a financial perspective. Yeah, we'd be better off it if we... And there's so much wealth in the U.S. and in uh, Canada and other nations. That kind of ties into the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host, Stephen Flurry. He talked about uh, some of the history of the United States and Britain and prophecy, uh, the rise and fall of uh, the U.S. and these other nations as well. And they're reading, I guess they're doing some uh, group readings over there 
uh, have a study or a reading group, I guess it is, and they're looking at Winston Churchill and some of his early life. And so um, uh, talked about that today as well. Fascinating history there. And, of course, you can get that book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, at thetrumpet.com. One of the uh, examples he brings up is in terms of us declining in power is uh, the lowering of the standards for some of the special forces units because they have they want to have the women in there. Mm. And uh, he, he, you know, he points out, well, is Iran doing that? Is Russia doing that? These other nations that want to obliterate us? They're not lowering their standards to have some great equality as they see it. They're trying to get the the best and the strongest. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't say unfortunately. The reality is if you're looking for the strongest for the military, it's going to be the men. Very true. And at the end of the day, military military development is all about achieving victories. And it's not about some social justice campaign. And in a way, you do have to just commend these Gentile nations for building their militaries the way they they do having a realistic view of the world that not everyone is your friend there are nations who are your enemies we have very different viewpoints from them but we're not preparing like we should be for any potential clashes like they are yeah it's one of the great weaknesses in our countries is that in the west is because of all the sins uh and without having a clear right and wrong anybody can you know bring up some protest or some injustice as they see it and it's like the whole world has to grind to a halt while we consider it and try to make sure they don't feel bad you know wars uh, you don't have to know a whole lot about the world to know that wars aren't conducted that way you know hey that's not fair guys stop trying to take over here we need to have a fair war (laughs) it doesn't work that way the the strong survive it's extremely damaging to have this idea that uh well truth is relative it's changing all the time i mean with all these different social justice issues many of them honestly should have just been shut down right away i mean the police brutality thing should have never been able to get off the ground like it it did but people said well you aren't my skin color so you don't know what it's like and then we're all like well i guess that's true we can't judge we've never thought about it that way and uh, we have to be open-minded to these types of things meanwhile the whole nation is being split in half because of all these stupid arguments that we're having that shouldn't have even started in the first place they gave Colin Kaepernick an award yesterday. Another one? Yeah, the a- wow. ACLU in California <laughs> is for doing something. I don't know what it was. Destroying the 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that he visited uh, Alcatraz, yeah. which, which I guess has uh, some indigenous peoples there. And he, Instead of uh, celebrating Thanksgiving, he was out there with the indigenous peoples. They were celebrating the day of on Thanksgiving, like it's yeah. an actual, I guess it's a thing. Huh. So I don't know what you do there. You just complain. Those days terrible. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to go to the on Thanksgiving Day party? It's no fun. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that was their whole aim for that for that day was to do the opposite of what everyone else was doing. Yeah, that bizarre. Anyway, so (laughs) that's uh, 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 part of just the fall of this country when you get into things like that. And uh, that's on the Trump Daily Radio Show today. The United States and Britain and prophecy. Take a look at that. Uh, it's December the 4th today. Interesting note in history. 1945, the U.S. Senate approved American participation in the United Nations. Also on this day in 1979, for the second time, the United Nations Security Council voted unanimously to urge Iran to free American hostages that had been taken on the November the 4th. And so, of course, Iran immediately released them uh, <laughs> two years later. <laughs> 52 Americans uh, were released uh, from uh, Tehran there in the 19 or in 1981. 
So it just shows you the power of the uh, the UN. <laughs> Nobody follows it except the West. <laughs> Nobody else cares. Well, just listen to the language there. They wanted to urge Iran not just to let go of those hostages. That's not the way to deal with a nation like that. A nation that is willing to take people hostage for no reason like that in the first place is not going to just say, oh, well, you urged me with your words, so I'm just going to let them go now. Didn't they actually release them immediately when Ronald Reagan became the president? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing that, uh, you know, as if uh, Iran si- – well, first of all, as if anyone on the UN would have been like, well, I don't know. That seems okay to take, you know. <laughs> of course they voted unanimously. And then second of all, as if, you know, you're going to do this illegal act and then you're like, oh, I'm really nervous, guys. Today's the vote. Do you think they'll let us keep them? <laughs> I mean, it's just like kids. It's ridiculous. But uh, so anyway, that's the uh, the United Nations. They have not had a strong track record. They should have just sent them cash. That's how we do it now. Right. And the statistics are alarming. What what has happened in the world since the United Nations uh, began? There's already been hundreds of wars. I mean, it hasn't stopped wars. It hasn't really made any progress toward world peace. Um, especially because of the way they're so radical now, giving a platform to nations that hate Israel or nations that hate America, nations that are deplorable when it comes to civil rights or or human rights are being put on human rights councils. Everything's upside down in that body of nations, and so, of course, they're not going to accomplish anything. Yeah, I was thinking about the U.N., and actually— Today now they're you know the only time the UN's really used in a lot of ways is when it's against the West and those other nations try to hijack the process and you know for example not supporting Israel or supporting the Palestinians and so it's been it's been turned around I mean those uh, those other nations have realized oh they're actually gonna like play the game with us so yeah we'll have a seat on the UN and tell you we think you know Israel shouldn't be here and you know they can discuss it. It really doesn't seem like the UN is used as a platform in the opposite direction for the Western nations to lecture all the others. It just seems like it's being used for nations that really have no right to say anything about anyone else's supposed injustices, getting up there and screaming and lecturing and trying to act like they're the moral superior when clearly they're not. It's all upside down. Yeah, it's uh, that was our last great hope, I guess, too, the United Nations. It's interesting. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, authority of the Bible, a really important topic, and especially when you consider, uh, as we were mentioning earlier, when you get into this weird area in in some of uh, the Western nations here where you can't determine right from wrong. <laughs> uh, you have to go back to an authority and to a source of right and wrong, and that is the Bible. But first, you have to prove the authority of the Bible. There's a reprint article on thetrumpet.com about that, the authority of the Bible. And part of it is uh, seven keys to understanding the Bible. And we talked about three of them. Uh, We're going to mention the fourth one today. Uh, The fourth key to understanding the Bible is you have to understand God's holy day plan. And uh, it's funny because the Bible's very, it's full of it. It talks about it all the time, the holy day plan. And yet if you were to mention some of those holy days, I think it would shock people. Like, what is that? They've never heard of that. And it's interesting because this time of year in particular, if you drive around neighborhoods, you see all the Christmas lights out and everything. You know, and kids are very inquisitive, and uh, I just wonder what people say to kids when they say, why do we put the lights on the house and stuff? Why do we do that? Like, what's the answer for that? There aren't really very many good answers. That does remind me of when I was in public school. Some guys on my baseball team when I was a freshman, they did a lot of research into some of the stuff that we believe, and one of the things, they they came up to me like, aren't you uh, celebrating trumpets on Thursday? I'm like... I'm like, yeah, actually. And it's like, why are you, <laughs> you know, why are you asking me that? Are you trying to make me feel bad about it? Because 
you know, that is celebrating the return of Jesus Christ. Right. You know, what do you have coming up? You're going to be celebrating Halloween, which is like worshiping the people who are dead. And there's a lot of demonic influence there. I mean, really, there's no comparison between God's holy days and the pagan holidays. There's a lot of... Uh there's a lot of power in understanding God's holy days and keeping them because it, it reveals God's plan. And uh, it says this, uh, these were given, God's holy days, that is, to God's people the picture and to keep them in the understanding of God's plan for bringing about his purpose, his reign over all the earth, whose people uh, shall have been uh, converted to righteous immortality at that time. Uh, every sect, it says, organization and... Uh, or denomination that does not observe God's holy days and has fastened its eyes upon the pagan Romish holidays instead has never understood God's plan. And that's a major thing in the United States, obviously. It's very, very few people that have heard of God's holy days. They might have heard of something similar with like some Jewish observances, but, but uh, you know, you everybody knows about the the Roman <laughs> the Romish uh, holidays that people keep, and yet very few understand God's holy days. And so you can understand why people don't understand much about the Bible or God's plan, because the Holy Days lay it out step by step. And as it says, it's a reminder every year when you keep those. Otherwise, it's easy to forget, and uh, that's what has happened. What is amazing, though, is if people were to look back in their personal history far enough, in most cases, people in the United States and Britain, their families kept God's Holy Days at some point. Even if they do try to make fun of it, or they try to say that the pagan holidays are better to keep, and and. It does seem like as well, I'm I'm not sure if it's exact, but in almost every way, the pagan holidays are a counterfeit of the Holy Day plan. Uh, they do come at similar times of the year as the Holy Days, and they distract people from what they really should be observing during those different times. And and it's it's pretty sad because there's no real meaning in the pagan holidays. The Catholic Church was notorious for hijacking pagan observances and turning them into sort of distorting them into supposed Christian days. All of those originated that way. All those pagan holidays did <clears throat> yet people celebrate them as if they are Christian observances when the real Christian observances are actually talked about in the Bible very specifically. Yeah. And, and of course there's uh, some would say, well, it was an old Testament thing, but there are plenty of new Testament examples as well. Uh, this uh, reprint here on the authority of the Bible just g gives a really brief uh, synopsis of these days. There's a, a book, uh, um, Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which at thetrumpet.com that you should get and read because it explains it more in depth. But we'll just give you the highlights today uh, with God's Holy Day picture. Uh, first, of course, is Passover, which pictures the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Following that is the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that would be a stunner for most people. I don't think they've heard of that. <laughs> Which picture is putting sin out of uh, our lives, and uh, that's a bit that's a bit of a dicey one today too. <laughs> uh, sin, <laughs> what's that now? <laughs> and uh, right and wrong, and so that's why that one is not as exciting to uh, people because uh, we're starting to look at actual law now. Right, Mister Herbert W. Armstrong, who wrote that Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days Witch booklet, had that he told a story once about how he was approached by some ministers of some other sect and they were trying to convert him and he just started asking them questions and and one of the questions he asked them was well what is sin and they couldn't tell him even though the bible clearly defines what sin is these so-called christian teachers couldn't tell him what it is doesn't that have a lot of relevance now when sin is rampant yet we can't tell anyone that anything is wrong because no one 
no one is going to believe the biblical definition of sin. No one is going to believe that they actually have to change things they're doing in their own lives to get closer to God. And that's, I think, the problem. I mean, is that as a society, we're kind of in too deep. <laughs> because, it would, you know, what would it take for somebody to, for, for society in general to say we're actually going to keep the laws of God now? There'd be a lot of things that would have to change. And it, it, it would, people's lives would have to change in major, major ways. And well, just think about, like, the uh, the... The, the tangible impact on business and economy. How many how many businesses would actually be shut down for being unethical or for being just like completely immoral or perverted? I mean, the entire pornography business, which takes up a quarter of the entire internet, would have to be shut down, and all those people would need to find actual jobs. <laughs> a lot of things would change, even if you just think of it that way. Yeah, and uh, but it would all it would all be very good and beneficial, but uh, people would have to be willing to do that. Uh, after the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, then there's the third one, which is the uh, Feast of First Fruits or Pentecost, picturing the coming of the Holy Spirit and the completing of um, this, the merely first and preliminary harvest of souls. So that's always a question. Well, if you know people have, haven't heard the name of Christ and they die, is that the end of them? Well, when you understand God's holy day plan, you understand not. Today's only a small beginning, and that's pictured by uh, Pentecost. There's tremendous hope in that as well, because... Look at all the people who are suffering today, being abused, just totally enslaved by sin. And it's billions of people around the world who are in that situation. Yet there is one true church that is doing it the right way, that is going to be setting an example and teaching all of these people when they have their chance one day very soon. But it is a matter of God's timing where the church is being worked with first and then all of humanity will get their chance as well. Yeah, that's uh, the third Holy Day, the Feast of uh, Pentecost. And then fourth, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, one of your buddies like so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, picturing the second coming of Christ at the beginning of the, the uh, seventh millennium or the beginning of that 7,000 years, uh, the start of that uh, 7,000th year, I guess I should say. And then fifth, the Day of Atonement, uh, picturing justice done by laying Satan's guilt in our sins upon his own head. You don't hear anything about that today, no surprise, because uh, uh, Satan is a god of this world, as the Bible says, and uh, he's not a fan of that day <laughs> in particular. And so people don't celebrate that day, but really that's a day uh, uh, to really be excited about um, because, uh, you know, the sin affects so many people and destroys so many lives, and to finally have the ultimate author of that uh put away and not broadcasting to people, it's going to make major change in the world. And it does make a lot of sense why trumpets and atonement come back to back, because Christ returns as king to the earth on trumpets, which or the fulfillment of trumpets, and then he's the only one who can lock Satan up. He, Satan is obviously on a, on a rampage in this world now, and he has to bring Satan to justice. No human being could ever do that. No... No physical force could ever stop what Satan is doing right now, which is uh, what is going to happen on the fulfillment of atonement. And then there's the uh, sixth uh, holy day, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it's a seven-day festival, pictures the kingdom of God. And then um, uh, on this earth at, at the uh, beginning of that millennium. And then the uh, seventh and the last great day, uh, immediately following the Feast of Tabernacles, picturing the final great white throne judgment. And uh, if you read about that in Revelation, that's where everybody that's ever lived, never heard God's truth, uh, lived and died, they're going to be resurrected and given a chance. That's where the great hope is for everybody. Nobody's lost uh, unless they knew the truth and walked away from it, but um, everyone's going to have a chance. That's something religions in the world don't teach. Uh, there's no religion outside of God's true church that teaches that because you, you have to believe 
their particular brand or else that's it. But here it shows that uh, everyone's going to have a chance to know God's truth. I mean, there is something, <laughs> there's things that people have to do, but uh, that chance will be open to everybody. We always hear the words diversity and inclusion thrown around so casually today as if those are the most important things. And yet the, the most diverse and inclusive plan ever is what God is doing with man, where people of all backgrounds, all ages of the earth's history, all, all races, all ethnicities, whatever it is, are going to have a chance. Every single person who has ever lived, I mean, it's not an exclusive group of people who are receiving this opportunity to be, be a part of God's family. It's literally everybody. And so those are, uh, if those days are unfamiliar to you, then there's a great book, uh, booklet mentioned there at the trumpet.com. Pagan Holidays are God's Holy Days, which it's a great booklet to read uh, any time of the year. This might be a good time, too, because you see a lot of holidays <laughs> going on. But are they biblical? And uh, if not, where are the biblical ones? And so to really understand the Bible, you have to understand these uh, these holy days. So uh, check out that booklet. Also, this uh, reprint article, The Authority of the Bible, as well. That's all the time we have for today on uh, this Monday edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key Day program, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, coming up as well. For myself, Dwight Falk, and Grant Turgenet, thanks for joining us today. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.